0: Today on Chat with George we are joined by the former Welsh Conservative leader Andrew RT Davies, a family in South Africa dealing with the lockdown there and also a school teacher who's been working very courageously to provide PPE to NHS and care workers. And this is Chat with George.
1: Get a more rounded understanding of the issues at stake. I suppose I went to
2: the BBC out of any great ideological belief that I'd actually be working in commercial radio. We can all do
3: mm. little things in our own way. A wish to try and look really widely at a range, a big range of people.
0: Those sorts of things have got to continue.
3: I would be lying if I said there weren't things that got to me.
2: Actually get to the politicians, get to the decision makers. Fast forward to today, it's a fantastic
1: liberty.
0: This is chat. This is chat with. This is chat with George. I was joined this week by Andrew R.T. Davies, the former Welsh Conservative leader, who's been in the Welsh Assembly since May 2007. He was leader of the Welsh Conservative Party in the National Assembly for Wales since July 2011 and resigned the position in 2018. He still remains an Assembly member and is also the Shadow Minister for Rural Affairs and the Environment in the Welsh Assembly. Thank you for joining me on Chat with George. I was just going to ask you, first of all, you're of course uh, very much involved in the Welsh political scene at the moment and have been a long-standing Assembly member. Could you first just tell us how it's been in terms of going to the Senate with lockdown? Obviously it's done virtually. How's it been?
1: We had a sense of what was coming back in about the third week of March, where obviously the momentum behind the lockdown was clearly approaching us. So that was like our last sitting week of normal activity. Senate committee meetings and plenary has been suspended since then. So we were the first, as I understand it, Parliament to instigate the Zoom sessions about the first week of April, which was interesting to say the least, to see lots of your colleagues on a computer screen rather than looking at them in the flesh. We haven't resumed the committee meetings yet and those parliamentarians who watch this type of activity will understand that that is the activity that you tend to extract from most out of ministers and witnesses. So hopefully we can get that activity back up and running quickly. Uh, but what's has been an explosion of activity over the last couple of weeks is constituents coming to us with all sorts of manner of problems, issues, and some really good hard-warming stories as well. Because Let's not forget, you know, whilst there's a lot of trouble out there, there's a lot of hard stories and a lot of good news as well to promote about what people are doing within their communities. So it's been a very mixed picture, but a, a different picture.
0: Have you found it very effective, the Zoom calls, and have they still been able to allow you to effectively hold the Welsh Government to account?
1: Well, I appreciate we had to go back in some shape or form and given we're dealing with a virus and obviously social distancing um, and trying to limit people's travel is a key component of beating the virus, I understand that we have to proceed down the route of the Zoom experience, shall we say. It, It is challenging, to be honest with you, to get genuine scrutiny up and running when debate, discussion, uh, interrogation, shall we say, of ministers or witnesses does rely on that very personal interaction that a committee room and face-to-face discussions uh, enable one to undertake. And so I very much hope that we can get back to a balance of maybe remote scrutiny via Zoom, but also what the House of Commons have done this week in showing that, you know, that physical presence can also be part of the important uh, holding to account of government uh, that people expect their politicians to, to achieve.
0: We'll go into perhaps more specifics uh, on, on how the Welsh Government's handling the coronavirus and how Wales is coping with the lockdown in a minute. But I just wondered what your overall opinions are of the Welsh Government's handling of the coronavirus crisis and what your views on that is
1: well in one breath all governments across the uk have to be commended for the way they've managed <clears throat> to jointly work through these issues because i think since the dawn of devolution this would be the first complete uh, lockdown that the country has experienced obviously before that it was only in times of war that we've experienced these type of conditions uh, and it was very much a whitehall led uh, response to those, those types of uh, problems that were faced in that era. Uh, so to show that the political establishments, whether they be in Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland or England, can work together, uh, has come to the fore with this crisis. It is important to recognise that the strengths of the United Kingdom have enabled such a massive financial package to be put together uh, to support businesses, support individuals, and support charities, and without that union, response. Uh, It's debatable whether we here in Wales or in other parts of the United Kingdom would have been able to put such a comprehensive measure of support in place. And I think that's an important consideration that will be reflected on uh, once we come out of this uh, situation we find ourselves in. Uh, Are there things that could have been done differently? Of course there are. Are there things that could have been done better? Of course there are. But I think all that type of analysis uh, is something that maybe needs to be dealt with once we're at the back end of this crisis, rather than trying to pick a button fight uh, in the middle of it when key decisions have to be taken. But it doesn't stop us, obviously, putting our hands up and saying, right, this is wrong, we need to change it, or actually what you've done is very good, uh, let's try and enrol it into all parts of Wales. And this morning, for example, I spoke to a constituent who is in the care business, and is desperate to get hold of PPE. Now, he's saying in the one council area, he's got a good supply of PPE because that particular council's got a handle on supply. Then in another care home, he owns 20 miles away, which falls under another local authority, it's almost like the Wild West. You're left to your own devices. Now, people like myself who are elected members need to bring that to the attention of government to say we need a more unified response because it can be done in certain areas.
0: Now, you're the Shadow Minister for Environment and Rural Affairs in Wales, and you've particularly focused on making sure that the Welsh Government takes concerns of farmers seriously in this crisis. I wondered if you could update us first about what support is available for farmers in Wales, and if you know if that's something that is replicated across the UK as well. In COVID 19, I know you particularly wanted support around single farm payment applications and grants and cow passports, but what particular support is available at the moment?
1: Well, the key thing is that you lead in in a crisis, uh, and it might be an easy shot for me to take here, but regrettably, when it comes to the rural economy and in particular agriculture, uh, we haven't seen that leadership, and the industry and the sector have been very much left to their own devices. Uh, I wrote an article back, I think it was about March the 6th, for a local paper here in Wales called the Western Mail, who said that that in that article I stated what I thought the Minister should be doing to prepare us for the coronavirus. I also raised that issue in the questions that we put to the last, uh, in Spokesperson's questions as well. Uh, But regrettably, to date, we haven't seen much of that coming through. Now, cash flow and conservation of cash is a key issue for businesses in the middle of a crisis. Agricultural businesses are no different than that. That's why I've called on a clear pathway to making sure that the single farm payment that goes into farms is paid on time this year, and where it's not paid, loans are made available. Uh, I do believe that farms should be able to apply to the Economic Resilient Fund and other support measures which at the moment they're excluded from. Which dumbfounds me, to be honest with you, because we have dairy farmers dumping milk, uh, and we have the beef price in freefall at the moment. Uh, So while supermarkets are gaining huge traction in those products they're selling off their shelves, regrettably, that's not arriving at the farm gate to sustain rural businesses that were already under pressure. Uh, So when it comes to the rural sector, which you asked me on, George, certainly here in Wales, there's a lot of work to do and a lot of catching up to do. The government can show leadership here, or it can continue to sit on its hands. And if it continues to sit on its hands, regrettably, we'll see many rural businesses go to the wall through no fault of their own. And so I would hope that we'll actually start seeing leadership here uh, from the Minister rather than actually just letting others go to the wall.
0: You've particularly focused uh, and, and promoted the idea of cutting taxes in order to support businesses at this time of crisis. I wondered if you think that is an efficient way to help businesses particularly when governments are going to be under increased pressure in their own funding uh, with having to you know provide a lot of financial support to businesses uh, in other ways do you think taxes are the the tax cuts are the right way to small businesses
1: Well I'm a huge believer that if you incentivise people to go out there and be entrepreneurial, uh, put that extra shift in, create that new initiative, that new idea, that new product and you allow them to keep as much of the fruits of their labour as possible, you will incentivise people to grow that extra yard, that extra mile and that actually grows the economy if you actually over-regulate if you actually penalise people with high taxes, you dis people to go out there and achieve those breakthroughs that we need to achieve. Now, we need a fair and balanced tax system, there's no doubt about that, because there'll be many big bills coming in at the end of this crisis. But actually, the way we pay those bills down is by growing the economy, not stagnating the And virtually every economic model you you look at across the world shows that a low-tax model enables you to grow the economy far quicker than a high-tax model. Now, I'm not someone who's saying that we won't have bills to pay. Clearly, we will have bills to pay, but if you have a growing economy, you keep the confidence of the markets. If you keep the confidence of the markets, the markets will continue to borrow to you at favourable terms, and that will free up capacity within the markets, then, to allow people to bring forward their ideas in a low-tax economy. If you suddenly dis people from doing that, you'll shrink the economy, you'll have less money for public services, and actually you'll be in a free fall uh, of investment. That'll be bad for jobs, bad for public services, and bad for UK PLC.
0: But the government's debt is uh, expected to rise almost over 100% of GDP. Will that be able to be sustained by uh, tax cuts?
1: Well, so long as the markets have confidence that the economy is growing, and they can see a pathway to paying our way in the world, yes, it can be achieved and it is sustainable. Where markets take flight uh, and don't buy up government debt is where they believe that that debt cannot be serviced and cannot be paid down. Uh, And that is when you end up in a shrinking economy and a recession and stroke depression. It's not uncommon for large industrialized economies to carry uh, GDP debt of in excess of 100%. It's not desirable. Uh, Obviously, the smaller the amount of debt you have, the less interest payments you make, and the more money you can put into public services or keep into individual pockets. Uh, But if you take Japan, for example, and if you take other industrialized economies, uh, they have a far higher ratio of debt to GDP than the the example you just gave me, George. What I'm saying is that We as human beings respond to incentives, Uh, those incentives in a monetary term uh, mean incentivising people to hang on to their money uh, by keeping taxes low. so they are the ones who spend that money in their local economies, they go out and put the extra shift in, they go out and create the new invention that ultimately creates new revenues into this country uh, and ultimately creates greater taxation levels.
0: Just one last note on on this topic uh, around taxes and, and cuts to them. an issue will be about unemployment and of course, although innovations and incentives will be important for businesses, there could you know we are going to see I think quite a lot of jobs lost uh, across the country. How will particularly in Wales, what's the best way in which these jobs can be either protected or those who will be jobless, how can they be supported after this crisis?
1: Well I think there's three things to look at here. One thing we do know is that there will be pressure in the jobs market and that's a huge regret because uh, this crisis, the virus if you like, is no one person's fault, it is one of these terrible things that tend to visit humanity uh, from time to time Uh, and people through no fault of their own uh, will find themselves in some form of economic distress. That's where policymakers and governments need to step in uh, with economic levers to try and facilitate the growth of the economy so that those jobs, that, if they are lost, are temporary losses and not full-time losses. Uh, And that's the policy response that we need to be doing: is making sure that whoever loses their job, coming from a very low unemployed base in the first place, you know we were under four percent unemployed in this country before we went into this crisis. Uh, Projections show that potentially we could go up to ten percent of unemployed people in the country. We need to get people back to work as quick as possible, and there's a whole host of reasons for doing that. Secondly. The policies that we put in place need to be pragmatic, need to be effective and above all need to be liberating rather than draconian because the economy will not grow, will not flourish if we have a draconian centralized economy uh, that cannot respond to market conditions and cannot allow the entrepreneurs in this great country of ours to succeed. And then thirdly, from a Welsh perspective, We know that historically, sadly, economically, we've lagged behind other parts of the United Kingdom. And that's why I believe we need to use our tax levers in an imaginative way, rather than a draconian way, to create a great opportunity for people to come to Wales, invest in Wales, and pick up that slack that this virus has caused um, to create more jobs and more opportunities here in Wales.
0: Now, I understand, of course, you are an Assembly member and, and Welsh government doesn't generally, or uh, Welsh politics generally doesn't have to deal with uh, huge amounts of uh, foreign affairs. But the Conservative Party particularly has, of course, which you're a member of, has particularly had an interesting uh, sort of debate over the over several years, particularly shown in, in the whole issue around Huawei and then providing 5G. I just wondered if you had an opinion on Uh, the issue around China and and Britain's relationship with China and how that perhaps will change with the coronavirus crisis. There are, of course, growing calls for an inquiry into how China has dealt with the coronavirus and and, and how they uh, published their figures on on those who had it. Uh, I wondered what your opinion on that issue was. I think it's a fair question to
1: ask. I mean, at the moment, we're still far too early in this process to fully understand source. I mean people are pointing the finger, China being the, the base of this virus uh, where it broke out into the international community. Uh, and I very much hope that China will play its role in providing those answers to the international organisations that inevitably will look into this because ultimately I'm an internationalist myself, I hope that many other people in the policy making world share that we as a globe are far better off when we look outside our own borders uh, and actually look to expand relationships and interactions with other countries rather than close those borders down and stay behind our own four walls, as it were, because actually in isolation you do no good to anyone then. A growing world economy is good for everyone, uh, but you need to play your part in the responsibilities that come with with that. Um, So I personally believe that, yes, China does have questions to ask, answer uh, and i much much they'll play their part in providing those answers. Likewise, we in the West here uh, and across the globe have responsibilities about how we've responded to the virus as well uh, and those will be domestic questions that we need to deal with. Uh, but the Chinese ultimately have their role to play, an important role to play, as a growing economy and being one of only the two superpowers in the globe at the moment, along with the United, United States.
0: The recent and very well-known outburst that took place by Vaughan Geffen on the Senate Zoom call, uh, perhaps highlighting some of the uh, sort of problems that can happen on, on Zoom. I just wondered if you supported or what your view was on the Plaid Cymru's call for him to resign as Health Minister in Wales and whether you supported that.
1: Well, uh, you know, I have my doubts about Vaughan, like many opposition members do, and indeed many within his own party, because if you actually look at his track record. At uh, being health minister now for some four years, I think it is maybe a little longer, certainly four years. Anyway, it hasn't been a good record by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and I think when he went on the politics show, the Daily Politics show, he was introduced as the worst health minister in the United Kingdom. Put that to one side. He is the man on point, and we have to accept that he's the man on point for better or for worse. Is it sensible halfway through this crisis? to be putting someone completely unfamiliar with some of the decisions that have been taken, some of the key uh, policy angles that need to be worked through, uh, some of the relationships that have been built up with key stakeholders. Uh, I think a lot of these questions will be appropriate after the event. But at the moment, he is the health minister, for better or for worse. Uh, We're in the middle of a virus pandemic. I don't think what he did was has particularly covered him in glory in any shape or form. I note he's offered an apology. These questions can be resolved once the pandemic has passed. And I think at the end of the day, like, um, you're just chasing the headlines uh, to get a quick, quick quote to the papers.
0: Final question, and I know this is sort of off the topic of the coronavirus. It's nearly been two years now since you were, last, you were the leader of the Conservatives in Wales. I just wondered if you do regret ever stepping down and, and, and leaving that position, uh, and whether you would feel like you'd like to go back to it at any time.
3: I love politics.
1: I mean, I'm blessed by being able to stand as an elected member in the Assembly, and I hope very much next year <clears throat> the electorate will have the confidence to return me. But it'd be a lot of hard work to get returned, uh, and I'm not fighting a rolling up my sleeves to do that. I love the role I'm doing at the moment as a spokesperson from Rural Environmental Affairs in the Assembly. Uh, I had a fantastic seven years as leader. I enjoyed every single moment of it. Hopefully we did some good. Uh, A right smile does come on my face when I see some of the uh, things happening now that basically we were championing many moons ago and we were told that we would be foolish for doing that uh, around tax for example off the deposit scheme for example that was taken home before the coronavirus uh, was seen as very fashionable we championed that some three four years ago our high street strategy we championed some five years ago uh and ultimately many of those policies now are seen as mainstream they are sadly governments have not chosen to deliver them yet and so I think we did a lot of good. Uh, I've certainly got a lot of energy left in me. I've just got a lot of ideas I want to implement. Uh, and I look forward to taking them forward in whatever role the future holds for me. Uh, but my focus at the moment is working with colleagues in the Assembly to make sure that we can get Labour out of government here in 2021, uh, get a Conservative-led government in power, and be able to enact policies that benefit communities the length and breadth of Wales rather than looking back to what happened two years ago.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me on Chat with George, Andrew. That was Andrew R.T. Davies. Now we go to South Africa where Charlie tells us his experiences of what it's like to be in lockdown in South Africa. Well thank you for joining me Charlie. Uh, You're out in South Africa aren't you at the moment? Uh, And and you are of course in lockdown. When did that begin? We
2: are in our fourth week of lockdown. We uh, were given two days notice that it would happen but I don't think we were given the full background of exactly what it would entail um, and that was sort of developed as we went along
0: Are you stuck so, at home with, with family or is it you're on your own?
2: Yeah, I have one, one son here and my wife Jane uh, the other son is in Leeds in the UK where he's doing a, a law training course which he's managed to carry on online.
0: So, what, uh, what, what what allowances are you are you given? Of course, in Britain, we're able to go out for one hour of exercise a day, and we, you know, are able to go to the supermarket if we need to get food and essentials. What are you allowed to do in South Africa?
2: we up until today. We were what was what is referred to as level five lockdown. And we were only allowed to leave the premises for food or medicine and no other reason. Not even exercise? No, not at all. And today we have moved to level four, which means some of industry can start up again. Um, because all of the, the whole um, industry, the whole workforce has been shut down. And we can now exercise, but only between uh, 6 o'clock in the morning and 9 o'clock. And there is a curfew from 5 o'clock, sorry, 6 o'clock in the evening till 6 in the morning, um, which is policed not only by the police, but also by the army. So we have an army of 75,000 personnel who are
0: fully deployed on the streets. Uh, and I was going to ask, I mean, South Africa is sort of known, particularly in its towns and townships, for having quite high rates of of crime uh, in recent years. And I wondered if the lockdown has affected that and how it has affected the community. I mean, obviously, you're not out on the streets every day, so you obviously aren't going to be able to witness that. But what is sort of coming through the news? Are there signs that this is... At least bring in some changes to society?
2: Yes. So crime has definitely dropped, um, according to the uh, Minister of Police. But on the other hand, I think it's just been contained. And and what we need to look at is the demographics of this country, which are somewhat different from the UK, in that we have a population very similar to the UK 58 million. People, but 1% owns 50% of the wealth. And I think that's a pretty staggering statistic. So, while 1% of us sit quite comfortably with house and garden, the other 99% are stuck in very difficult conditions. And as you say, in townships, with an inability to social distance, And also with a a looming prospect of no employment, no income, and no food.
0: Have you had any employment changes since this lockdown?
2: Yeah, well, I've retired, but I'm consulting. And the bulk of my consultancy work was overseas, in Asia and in South America, and that has completely dried up but I've continued to work for a local company remotely, obviously using video calls, but but I can uh, work remotely because most of what I do is computer related. So for me, life is difficult, but um, not insurmountable. And um, just to give you another statistic, our our unemployment pre COVID in this country, the official figure was 29%. The unofficial figure, which is those that have given up, including those who've given up looking for work, is closer to 35%. So they didn't have employment before uh, the virus came along. They're now in lockdown and in a very difficult situation. 1.5 million uh, people in this country are domestic workers, and that their work has has disappeared. We we have a uh, once a week we have a a gardener and we have a maid, and they're in lockdown in in their respective accommodation. So the maid does have a house in one of the townships and she lives with three daughters, and she's pretty much okay. But the gardener is in a back room of an um, informal housing development in a, in a township, and, and I imagine life for him is very, very difficult. We, we, at the moment, with lockdown four, level four, domestic workers can only return to work if they're in. In other words, they have accommodation with their employer, which I have no idea what how many people that that amounts to. But I would say the majority are not living. We we continue to pay our domestic staff, but I'm sure that many people are not in the position to do that. So when you talk about has crime dropped, yeah, it has, and. Uh, road deaths uh, over the Easter period were the lowest that they've been in 40 years. But I think it's a ticking time bomb. I I don't think uh, this can continue for much longer. People need to eat. And there were, um, I'm sure you've seen the scenes on television of food food handouts with queues three kilometres long of people waiting for food parcels
0: how bad do you think the economic situation will be for south africa of course we're already worried in the uk about the recession and the unemployment but of course as you pointed out unemployment in south africa was exceedingly high already uh, i mean our fears are probably that our employment level would perhaps touch what it is what it was uh, before the coronavirus in south africa uh now i wondered what you think the situation will be and, and will that be any chance of hope in terms of as she pointed out about the 1% and the the, the 50% of, of whether that re that re-equation of of, of you know bringing in a, a bit of equality if you like uh, and a reassessment of the economic situation will take place how will the economy change
2: the, the president announced last week a, a spend of 500 billion rands and it's at the moment 23 to 1 to the pound, so that's about 20 billion pounds to support industry and social welfare from now until September to, uh, on behalf of COVID. And if you put that in into perspective with our GDP, which stands at 1.7 trillion, Um, and our growth rate, which is barely 1.6% before COVID, I think uh, we're in trouble, to be honest. We don't have the the income into this country to support the population going forward. And we already have a large debt. Um, 10% of GDP goes to debt repayment. And that 's more than we spend on housing or on hospitals um, obviously not not the best of situations to be in but having said that we we have a robust economy based primarily in the, in the old days it was based on mining but more recently um, agricultural uh, agriculture forestry, and fisheries are the top earners for the country. And with, with pre-COVID a healthy order book and majority of, of um, products exported. Agriculture um, accounts for a lot going to Europe in terms of citrus, wine and various uh, fruit and vegetable products also uh, a growing nut industry with macadamias and cashews coming in as South Africa gets warmer with global warming. So we have a a solid foundation, but um, there's a gap in the middle on uh, the number of people it needs to support. I might add, George, I think um, we're doing pretty well in terms of managing the the virus. In fact, I think we've been more effective and quicker than the UK. Our lockdown um, was um, applied when we only had 27 infections and we now sit um, a a month later with, I think, 5,000 infections and 103 deaths. And uh, if I chart the same sort of progress um, against UK, you're sitting I think with around 26,000 deaths and um, I can't remember, um, 60,000 infections, I can't remember, but your your rise has been um, far more dramatic than ours has. I don't know what is going to happen when uh, lockdown is eased, but as I've said earlier on, we're we're only on level four today, having moved from level five, and we won't get full full, um, freedom and opening up of everything until uh, we go to level one. So I think the government are doing a very good job, a very um, sound job of um, managing the situation. And one other big contrast between the UK and uh, South Africa is alcohol and cigarette sales are banned, uh, level five and level four. So there are a lot of desperate people at the moment uh, looking to where they might get their next fix. And if you're like me and enjoy beer, you're beginning to look at the vegetable garden in terms of how to ferment it.
0: Well, thank you so much for that, Charlie. Many of us have heard about the various acts of individuals up and down the country who've been trying to help and contribute to our efforts to fight the coronavirus. One of those individuals is a teacher at my former school, Balcaris School in Cheltenham. Miss Jenny Swanipole, who is a DT teacher, has been helping, helping NHS care staff get the PPE they need. She's been making visors over the weeks and has had some contributions and help from those in the community. I caught up with her this morning. Well, thank you for joining me on Chat with George today. You are obviously at Balcarres School in Cheltenham, and you've been making a number of masks, well, thousands of masks, for <laughs> NHS and uh, carers in the NHS and in the care sector. What made you decide to do this?
3: Um, So what happened was um, we were, I was contacted by a doctor who worked at Sirencester Medical Group and she asked me if it was uh, possible for us to make some face shields for them because they had no PPE, no protection at all. So on my first day I went in 3D printed um, and managed to make a massive nine on my first day. Uh, And from there the Facebook post, it kind of all went a bit mad and we ended up supplying the NHS.
0: You obviously got a lot of uh, support and resources from other people around Cheltenham and so on. What? How did you first plan to sort of get everyone to... What did you want everyone to provide at first? What was the sort of thing that you needed?
3: Yeah, so what happened was, um, I mean, luckily, we even had some printers. We had some 3D printers donated from GCHQ, um, from different universities... But the main thing that we needed was the 3d printed headband which is the top bit that you need to attach the visor onto and the elastic Mm -hmm. so our our kind of capacity each day was only we could only make about 20 so what we did is we reached out to people in the community anyone who had a 3d printer businesses just people at home that had them in their garage and i've got about 100 people who are currently printing for me so we've come in today and there's about 100 donations in our little box outside.
0: Blimey, and how many in total have you made so far?
3: We've made 3,500, which is quite crazy, but luckily it looks like the the NHS demand is is falling a little bit. It's now care homes and and places like that that are most in
0: need. I I was going to ask about who's been uh, demanding them, but I wondered if you've been able to Get an idea of how useful and have heard stories from those who've used your uh, equipment. Yeah,
3: we've had we've had pictures from people in care homes. We've had pictures of doctors. Um, one of the first ones we gave, the first couple we gave out were used in um, A&E in Cheltenham um, Hospital. So, yeah, we've had loads of pictures of nurses and people using them. So uh, it's great to see them used.
0: And how many people have been involved in the process? Obviously, you've had loads of people giving donations, but how many of you have actually been making these masks at Belcaris? Well, after
3: the first kind of couple of days, I asked my colleague, um, Jane Denyer, food technician. She has been like my right-hand man, really, helping me every day. Um, so it's been the two of us. We've also had some help from a few other colleagues in my department um, just to get us going. But it's been quite a small team. But yeah, it's been really good. We've had loads of support from the community. Chapman King's community has been amazing. Also from the head teacher and stuff, keeping us
0: going. And obviously, alongside having to make me be, you are a teacher. And of course, coronavirus has meant that much of the schools across the country have largely closed. Although, of course, they are having to provide uh, education to those who are uh, essential uh, workers, the children of the essential workers. How has uh, Balcaris been affected by... Having to teach uh, key work uh, children of key workers.
3: Yeah, so I'm in school at the moment with, mm-hmm. with Jane doing the face shields, but there's um, kind of like a skeleton crew of teachers here, about five, who look after between ten and fifteen uh, students every day. Mm-hmm. Got them doing things like music and um, you know making things, and it's been really nice. They've 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 done a great job, and the other teachers working from home have we've just been setting work and trying to keep in contact with the students, but
0: yeah I mean it's
3: um, we're trying to make the best of it really.
0: Absolutely and obviously you've been very you know working very hard and have been very generous with your your work in terms of providing the PPE to NHS staff. I think sort of a a final question is what do you see uh, in the future? Do you plan to still be making PPE in the next few weeks or are you slowly bringing uh, an end to production?
3: I think it looks like it's going to slow down, um, which is a great thing, but my colleague Jane is actually making scrubs. So she's making scrubs and scrub bags and uh, headbands and things for the NHS, so it looks like it might shift from face shield to that kind of area instead. Um, so we're going to kind of have a stock of face shields here just in case anyone needs them, but it looks like it's going to move towards things like scrubs and stuff like that.
0: Well, thank you so much for that. Thank you. Mr Paul for chatting to me today well thank you for listening to chat with George this week we'll be back next week when we discuss the issue of China I'll be talking to the chairman of the all party parliamentary group on China as well as to a PhD student in Chinese history discussing the issues around how coronavirus will be impacting the relationship between the West particularly the UK and China but until then goodbye and good afternoon